You may be seated. When you heard this gospel text, regardless of whether or not you're familiar with the story of the presentation in the temple, I hope that the rhythm of it was at least a little familiar to you, because what Luke does in this gospel is exactly what we do here every Sunday. He tells the story of what happened, and then he pauses for a song of praise, the song of Simeon, which we sang together with the choir to begin the service. Every Christian gathering since the disciples has more or less had that rhythm of going back and forth between telling the story and pausing for praise. That is liturgy. And any liturgy in any church will have some form of movement between those two things, hearing stories of what God has done for us and then our response to what we've heard. And Luke very masterfully wrote that precise rhythm into the gospel story itself. And not just in this text, but he uses the same pattern with the song of Mary, the Magnificat that we heard in Advent, and the angel song at Jesus' birth, which begins our Gloria. Using that pattern enables Luke to emphasize his major themes, the power and importance of the incarnation, and the identity of Jesus as the one who will fulfill God's promise to Israel. Now that's interesting from a literary standpoint to see what Luke is doing here. And it's also interesting from a historical standpoint to see how our scriptures have always been tied together with our forms of worship, even going back to our Jewish roots. For example, you probably know that the entire book of Psalms is nothing more than liturgical texts, one after another, individual pieces of praise or lament. But what's more interesting than understanding those things intellectually is understanding what this means for the way that we live our lives. There is a wisdom inside this rhythm that you and I learn intuitively every week when we come to worship. That in the midst of the stories of our lives, even as they are unfolding, we need to pause from time to time, hopefully frequently, to reflect and to give thanks and praise. And it is within those pauses that we are able to integrate the events of our life and see their meaning. So if you were to throw the canticle out of this gospel text, throw out the Song of Simeon, you'd still have a pretty good story about a prophet recognizing the infant Jesus as the Messiah. That's pretty cool. It's not every day that you see a prophet grab a baby and say, hey, this is going to be the redeemer of the world someday. It's still pretty good. But with the canticle in there, our hearts go right into the text, and we get caught up in the poetry and in the personal story of Simeon, who sees not just the promised hope of a nation lying in his arms. He sees the promise that he received personally from God fulfilled, that he would not die until he himself had laid eyes on the Savior. And this formal text about Mary and Joseph doing what's prescribed by law, Luke puts that part about the law in there multiple times in this text. It's really important. 
but that suddenly gets blown wide open and becomes evangelical. And we see the story through the lens of one person's intimate relationship with God. We don't need that detail about Simeon at all for Luke to have accomplished his purpose in telling the story. It really doesn't have any weight on the meaning. But it is that moment that draws us in and makes us connect to Simeon's experience. And then we wonder if maybe the story might be good news to us in a personal way as well. If maybe our eyes will see salvation. And that's what's happening in our liturgies every Sunday. We hear the stories, then we pause to reflect on them with music, poetry, and prayer. That's a pretty effective way to worship, which is why it's lasted for thousands of years. And it's also a pretty good model for how to live life. We need those moments to pause and integrate what's happening in the story of our lives before jumping back in again for another round. It's like in opera. We hear the story happening, and then we get to pause and listen to a beautiful aria. And you'll find that rhythm in any great narrative work of art, those moments where we pause and connect with the emotion of the stories that are being told. So you can't imagine, for example, Shakespeare's Hamlet without Hamlet's soliloquies. It would be just a bunch of people talking for a couple of hours, ending in a big sword fight. <laughs> but in those moments where Hamlet bears his heart and soul to us, we enter the story. And we can relate to the struggles of a Danish prince from 500 years ago, just like Luke allows us to enter into the heart of a Jewish prophet from 2,000 years ago. So liturgy is story alternating with a pause to reflect. It's a little bit like where there's a singer or a band or something that performs when we take a break from the action of the game. You know, <laughs> halftime. <laughs> now, trust me, I thought that it was way beneath my dignity to work in a reference to the Super Bowl. <laughs> But then I actually remembered that in the advanced class that I took in liturgy, the very first day, the professor wheeled in a television and put on a grainy video of a Notre Dame University pep rally. <laughs> and I was sitting there thinking, how many thousands of dollars am I spending to watch a football pep rally in my liturgics class? I was really annoyed. And after it was over, he asked us to tell him what we noticed. Well, of course, it was a lot like church. There was music, there was colorful costumes, there was call and response, there were joyful emotions, even prayer and even a procession to the Notre Dame Chapel. <laughs> and after we described all those things to the professor, he said to us, my dear future pastors, that is liturgy. We are hardwired for it. We crave it. It is part of the very definition of what makes us human. And if you don't provide that experience that you watch the people on that video having in your churches, people will seek it out elsewhere, and they will be left with only the half-truths and false meanings that secular ritual provides 
instead of the actual truth that we profess to proclaim every Sunday morning. So that's why I decided it was okay to bring up football as a metaphor. <laughs> Even the fact that we pause as a nation to observe the Super Bowl at all as some kind of national holiday points out the truth of what my professor said, that we are hardwired to create these kinds of pauses in our lives. And if we don't have a good reason to do it, we'll come up with an arbitrary one, like watching 22 men chase a ball around some grass. <laughs> We crave the ritual even in the absence of any meaning. As some of you know, I had a difficult time getting through the process for ordination. And at this time last year, I was about to go before the Commission on Ministry for yet another grueling round of interviews. Before those, I had to first set up an appointment with the bishop. And I was extremely nervous because in most of my meetings with people in the church, the purpose always seemed to leave me feeling as bad about myself as possible. But instead, the bishop chatted very pleasantly with me about what was going on in my life. And then he took my hand and said, I just wanted to speak with you today to tell you that you don't need to worry about a thing. Just go to those interviews and be yourself and have fun. And if you ever feel nervous, just imagine my hand grasping yours, because I am behind you 100%, my sister. And then he proceeded to advise me on different brands of champagne I might enjoy for an <laughs> ordination party. And he had some good suggestions. And then he said, why don't you pray for us and we'll be done. So I tried to stammer out all these really great things that I knew I should be praying for in that exact moment. But finally, all those things left my brain, and I ended up saying, I'm just so grateful. That was liturgy. My bishop knew that I needed a chance to pause and see what God had done in my life and what God was doing in my life. And I got embarrassed because I wanted to be eloquent with my prayer instead of just ending with, I'm so grateful. But really, that was not a bad place to be. It's where Simeon was 2,000 years ago when he said, God made a promise to me and I'm holding that promise in my arms right now. I am so grateful. I hope that this service gives you a chance to pause and see where God has moved in your life. And I hope that that's something that you experience not just today, but every single week. That is liturgy, and that is the rhythm of our lives, equally holy, equally sacred. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.